0: From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Michelle Cordero, and this is Heritage Explains. After over a month of staying in our homes, states around the country are partially reopening businesses this week, and many others have stay-at-home orders that will soon expire. In Arkansas, Alaska, Georgia, Tennessee, and Oklahoma, salons and restaurants are already open. Texas Governor Greg Abbott said that malls, restaurants, and movie theaters could reopen in his state on Friday. Counties in Florida have already opened beaches, and the state is ready to start opening marinas, golf courses, and more. So how do we know what states are ready and which ones need more time? Is a state-by-state approach the best way to do this? Here's Heritage Foundation President, K.C. James, talking about the way states are opening up around the country in an interview on Newsmax.
1: Well, you know, the states are so totally different. And even within states, there are regions where you have hot spots and other parts of the state where you may not have uh, very much infection at all. Our form of government actually works very well under these circumstances. As good conservatives, you know, we believe that the government that's closest to the people is the government that governs best. So I think that those decisions within some parameters and guidelines should be left to uh, the governors and local communities to make those decisions. Some communities are ready to open today, other communities uh, will require some time to put some pieces in place to protect the health and well-being of the citizens in those communities.
0: Heritage recently started the National Coronavirus Recovery Commission. Led by James, the group has brought together experts in medicine, economics, government, business, and human behavior to outline specific recommendations to reopen America. The goal? To help our nation figure out how to save lives and livelihoods.
1: We don't have to have an either or. Are we going to protect the health of the citizens or are we going to save the economy? Uh, We must do both, and we can do both. It just takes some common sense, some principles, and it takes a, a, a little bit of tolerance, of understanding the differences that exist across our country.
0: Last week, the commission reported that what we do in the next 30 days to decide whether the country has to contend with an economic depression. And that's regardless of whether COVID-19 is suppressed in the next several months or even in the next year. The steps outlined in their report are critical both to defeat the virus and avoid economic catastrophe. Today, Dr. Richard Tubb, a retired military officer and one of the longest serving White House physicians in history, serving from 1995 to 2009, joins us to talk about what plans we should have in place to reopen America. He also talks about his time working for President Bush to build out some of the first pandemic planning. Dr. Tubb is also a member of Heritage's National Coronavirus Recovery Commission, our interview after this short break.
2: Overwhelmed by the 24-7 news cycle? Looking for a way to keep up with the news that matters? The Daily Signal podcast brings you the top news of the day, plus interviews with lawmakers, authors, Heritage Foundation experts, and more on the most important policy debates in America today. If you're a conservative who wants to be on top of the news, check out The Daily Signal podcast, available every weekday morning.
0: Dr. Tubb, thank you so much for making the time to talk with us today. So the commission recently released its first set of recommendations to reopen America, and it it focuses on the first two of the commission's five-phase recovery plan. Can you explain to us what these first two phases are?
2: Well, phase one uh, is titled Returning to a More Normal Level of Business Activity at the Regional Level. It can't be divided uh, in the same way I talked about the mission and the man um, being indivisible. Uh, Phase one cannot be separated and should not be separated from phase two, which is slowing the spread while expanding testing, reporting and contract contact tracing. Uh, So those are phase one and phase two and an interim report uh, has been uh, authored and released discussing the Commission's findings uh, in Phase 1 and Phase 2.
0: These seem like the really two most important building blocks to starting to get things back to normal. I know there are a total of 47 recommendations, but starting with Phase 1, can you just tell us some of the recommendations to get America back to a more normal business activity?
2: I think, Michelle, based on what I just said and what I no, um, I'd like to consider them together if that's all right. And, and the reason being not only that, I, that they are in and of themselves iterative, The one feeds on the other, which then feeds on the other, and so on and so forth, and cannot or should not be evaluated in the absence of the other. But I also recognize um, one of the most important things of being a general practitioner uh, is knowing what you don't know. And so certainly phase two, I have more experience with and more knowledge than in phase one. And so I look to my partners uh, for their expertise in that regard. And then look at how phase two both supports and proceeds from that. But I think, um, you know, not intending to evade or avoid your question, I think the setup um, speaks to phase 1 uh, and the importance of that and, and I already mentioned one of the recommendations or the premises that president uh, James uh, charged us with and, and I'm reading it here is restarting economic activities and combating the novel coronavirus requires an all of society approach Uh, one that is not uniform across the country. And I think um, that has been preeminent um, in the society and the federal government's uh, approach to uh, the pandemic. It, It is very, very easy for us watching the cable news networks to focus on what is happening in New York and New York is a critical part of America but we would be um, remiss and i think even unscientific if we weren't to look at not just the rest of the country but all the various parts of the rest of the country the second recommendation or premise that uh, president james uh, instructed us to uh, consider when coming up with our recommendations was the knowledge that this had to be not just an all of society but an all-of-government approach. President Trump and Vice President Pence uh, have gone to great lengths to make that clear from the very start. That this is, as our country was founded and as it has thrived over two hundred plus years, it is a federalist society. Um, the federal government is not a strong central government, but rather supports. The actions and the uh, uh, laboratory for democracy that are the state governments, as elected and led by the respective government governors. The third charge that she gave us, uh, from which the recommendations came, was to restart economic activity while suppressing the coronavirus. That will then provide the American people the necessary confidence to re-engage the recovery. So again, like phase one and phase two are indivisible, so is uh, economic recovery from uh, clinical recovery from the coronavirus. Uh, they have to work together uh, in order to provide the confidence to restart the economy.
0: Dr. Tubb, so since you were President Bush's doctor during 9-11, and anthrax followed shortly after that. You were also his physician as President Bush began to build out some of the first pandemic planning, which we've seen a little bit about in the news lately. What we're going through today, is this a better or worse scenario than what you and President Bush had planned for back then?
2: Well, I'm glad you brought that up because, again, I think it's important to have a a context uh, to understand where I'm coming from and, and uh, my advice to the commission as they try to advise the decision makers across the country on taking back our economy. and uh, To back up a little further, I, as I, I'm an Air Force, or I'm now a retired Air Force family physician and flight surgeon, uh, and so had spent years taking care of my patients in the context of their whole life, and in the context of their job and missions. I came to the White House in 1995 as a junior uh, Air Force physician with a guarantee that I would only be here two years. I shortly became um, Vice President Gore and his family's family physician and the head of his operations, medical operations. Uh, And I also became the Clinton's deputy White House physician, my boss, Connie Mariano, I was their formal position, but in my position, I traveled a great deal with uh, Mrs. then-Secretary Clinton as she traveled the world. That's important in that it laid the groundwork for what happened in 2000 and then 2001. You may remember, uh, or perhaps some of the younger listeners may not remember, but the campaign of 2000 was a very, very bitter campaign uh, and it contested election so uh, the election wasn't actually decided uh, until the middle of December of 2000 meaning that the president-elect headed by uh, the person who was to become the vice president-elect Cheney uh, got a very late start in the game as far as as far as putting their government together so it wasn't until mid to late summer that the Bush administration had finally got their legs under them and got their government going. And and that uh, reached a peak when President Bush and uh, President um, Putin of Russia uh, met in Slovenia. Uh, And that's where our president, uh, I think, really had gotten to the point of, of being our leader. Um, that all changed on the morning of 9 11 i was with the president at the time uh, and like this crisis that we face it was something that really we had not visited before and many of us had not imagined so that uh, demanded a great deal of imagination it demanded uh, having being surrounded by Good advisors, uh, and then it demanded coming to a decision point. Uh, that was quickly followed by anthrax uh, and uh, the very real threat of anthrax, uh, bioterrorism, bio warfare, uh, and then asymmetric warfare in general. Um, and it created Both a crisis in reality and a crisis in perception in that like now, people were confronted with what was to become a new normal and that required the confidence to get the planes flying and return back to work to this new normal, understanding that their lives would never be the same. They wouldn't go back to what they had before but that doesn't necessarily imply that the new normal is purely a defensive posture. It required say the imagination and the courage to engage the new normal. Uh, And I think that's something that America has always been good at and something that is demanded now. On the heels of anthrax, we then had SARS-1 Uh, the COVID-19 virus is now the SARS-2 disease, and it is SARS-2 because we had gone through SARS-1. We learned a great deal in SARS-1 that will inform what we do in our response to SARS-2. An example of that, going back to phase 2 and testing, is that... Uh, we've heard much discussion about herd immunity, vaccines, active immunity, passive immunity, which is the plasma, much of which requires herd immunity. Um, and that is all dependent on whether, uh, as the WHO director just recently said, there's no evidence uh, of immunity uh, vested by antibody titers in those who have been exposed to COVID-19, which if that is the case, um, it will be a very long summer. But I think we have to look at the words very carefully. Uh, He was careful to say there is no evidence of uh, immunity. That is not to say that there is not immunity and that is what remains to be found. But we look back to SARS-1 and our other experiences with infectious disease and I believe that we have every reason uh, to believe that uh, exposure to the virus will provide immunity of some duration that will then facilitate and inform uh, us taking back our economy. So that was SARS-1 and then somewhere in there there was avian flu and then it culminated with what I think was great presence on behalf of our former president and and my forever patient. Uh, And that was his experience with the uh, the book. I'm riffing on the title now. I can see the uh, jacket cover more than the title, but I think it was the great flu or the great influenza, looking back to Woodrow Wilson's experience and America's experience with its greatest global pandemic prior to this, the Spanish flu of 1917, 18 and 19. Um, I think we can take a great deal of of, uh, knowledge and lessons earned from that. But what I remember is the president coming down uh, into my office, my office was one of the few offices in the White House residence proper. It was directly across from his elevator so generally, uh, I would be the first one to see him uh, on his way to work in the morning and the last one to see him on his commute home in the evening. And typically he would stop in there, uh, just the chat. And I remember him coming in many, many times demanding to know whether I had read this book yet and then shaking it in my face. Um, and sadly, I had not yet read the book. Um, but certainly I, I took his uh, emotion to heart and uh, became a, an initial part of the pan, what would become the uh, pandemic response that was the backbone for everything that was built on it uh, up to this point. Um, I think this government, well, first of all, I'll say looking back now in preparation, for the commission and doing my homework. I looked at the, uh, the uh, plans that were first started in 2005 and went all the way up to, uh, I think last fall, I believe. Um, and I looked at their plans knowing that they were looking at it from a different vantage point than I am currently. And I think they did a very, very good job of imagining the un- unimaginable. Now, I think we have to keep in mind that the pandemic flu of 1917, 18 and 19, and much of the planning that went into the preparations was patterned on a novel influenza A. Um, And as such, it relied heavily at some point, not only on the NPIs, the uh, non-pharmacologic interventions that have been so very, very successful up to this point, but it also required the uh, intervention of antivirals uh, and uh, an active vaccine, which would have been very good to have had this been what we're going through now an influenza, but instead it's a completely unrelated virus, a coronavirus. And, And so What President Trump and the governors and the whole of government and the whole of society are now facing is something that is truly novel, which uh, we can turn to as far as the planning before, but now we have to do some creative thinking and some new science uh, with where we're at now.
0: In conclusion, Dr. Tubb is someone who has served as the White House position for three U.S. presidents and spent a great deal of time in the healthcare industry. Are you confident that America can get this done?
2: In 3.2 seconds would be, absolutely. I would say, Michelle, after I left almost 33 years, don't hold me to that, um, but let's say over three decades of public service, half of which was spent at the White House Ten more years after that, spent uh, advising the physicians and the medical unit for President Obama and President Trump. Uh, my experience coming out of that experience was like discovering a whole new world, and that was the private sector. And I got involved in some uh, what would have been? I trust the word I'm looking for. Um, some private sector experiences that were unorthodox or cre- required a new way of thinking. And what I discovered in that is that the one of the strengths uh, of our country that has made it great is not just our, our people, not just our values, but our free democratic marketplace and what i saw and what excited me was the ability of the marketplace to affect lasting good around the world um, in what has been called uh, a double bottom line strategies um, doing well by doing good and doing good by doing well uh, and i think President Trump has gone a long, long ways to carry on some of the the things that President Bush also thought were important. And that was to unleash the creativity of the American mind, to uh, unleash the enormous power, uh, which when partnered with the public sector um, is a force unlike any other for good. And we need that force now. We need the force of good people. We need the force of good government and we need the creativity, imagination and force uh, of a regulated but free economy so that our inventors, our smart people, our doers can go out there and do smart things, create good things and to do good like vaccines and therapeutics um, and antibodies and plasma and even strategies as to how to open up the marketplace after a crisis like we've been through and are going through Um, as one country as a civil society um, as a uh, society that is governed by the rule of law in a constitution of well over 200 years ago that has served us very well um, with uh, checks and balances in our federal government and checks and balances in uh, in the relationship between our federal state and local government um, and checks and balances uh, on ourselves as we relate to others in that civil society. So that's the long answer. That probably brings us up to five minutes, but I'll repeat it again. The answer to your question is absolutely, without a doubt, we can do this.
0: I love that. I I love the idea of that all-society approach, especially including the private sector. Thank you again for taking the time to talk with us, Dr. Tubb. I know you're a busy man, and um, we're grateful for the important work that you're doing. And America is grateful, and we definitely need people like you on this commission. And that's it for this week's episode. If you want more details on the commission or their recommendations, you can visit www. Dot CoronavirusCommission.com. Please review and share this episode. It really does help. We'll see you next week.
1: Heritage Explains is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher, with editing by Thalia Rampersad.